Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Kia ora and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby Pod big show for you today. Got a really important guest, Mick Byrne. You've probably heard of him as All Blacks assistant coach, you might not have, but here's a guy who's one of the great innovators in our game. From an Aussie rules background, comes into rugby and changes a whole bunch of stuff across the world in Leinster, then with the All Blacks in Australia. He is now the head coach of the Fijian Drua, so we'll be having a chat with him about skills, about rugby, about how the Drua are going. Plenty to talk to with Mick Byrne. Remember, he's a guy who coached Dan Carter how to pass and Richie McCaw how to tackle. So he's a guy who knows a few things about a few things. Uh, we'll talk with him. The Chiefs, the loss there. What does that mean? The loss to the Reds. We'll get into a bit of that. Are the Brumbies now and with a chance of being top qualifier? The Crusaders shut down the Blues. A bit of analysis on that. And what about Lester Anuku? And him and Caleb Clark. I think Caleb, Caleb didn't come out on top of that, Chipper. No, I don't think he, he would feel he did either. Leicester was um, you know, immense. Um, and, you know, Caleb still had his moments, but I suppose the kick out of the full um, in the second half was, was probably one he'd like to take back. Totally. James Parsons, by the way. Uh, <laughs> 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 For a Royal Blacks hooker. So, Jipper, before we get on to McBurn in a few minutes' time, let's get into some of the rugby on the weekend, most notably the Chiefs versus the Reds. Obviously, we know that a lot of top players were arrested. Ritalik, Kane, Weber, um, Taukiaho, lots of top players were arrested. But you've got to give some credit to the Reds' defence. They were very staunch. Yeah, um, especially, I suppose, towards the end there, um, when they did give away advantages. And I, I was surprised that the Chiefs probably didn't take mm. the advantage rather than trying to push, because... Uh, you know, he had shown all night that the, the advantage wasn't going to last forever, whether it was a penalty or knock-on, so it was always going to end um, if they kept going. Uh, and I felt like they were starting to get the momentum back and should have backed themselves probably in Golden Point, um, but wasn't to be. And I don't think it's a bad thing, this is going to sound ridiculous um, to most people, probably to Chiefs fans, is sometimes this will just sharpen the focus at a really important time of the year. It had been going all perfectly. You know, and, and we've seen teams in the past, you know, they go on these big win streaks and then they, you know, drop the final or, or, a, or a semi-final or whatever. So I think this will be great uh, for that next tier of player that got opportunities um, and also just for the guys that probably, as Roger Randall said at half-time, you know, tried to play the game um, on their own. So I don't think it's all bad and I think it's great for the comp uh, because it puts the Reds uh, right back in the mixer now for, for finals footy. I think you're talking about the held up right at the end, aren't you? About how they had a couple of advantages yeah. and really they had the chance. So let's say that you're the captain and you're on the field and that advantage is happening and you've got the chance to get over the line like Thompson did. 
As a captain, how do you go and make the call, hey guys, let's take the advantage? Oh, I think you've got to trust your game drivers, so it, w it wouldn't be. Um, but, I mean, previous times or experience you hear captains yell out, just knock it on or, um, yeah. you know, to, to take the three. But um, the Chiefs just aren't that side. They, you know, they've, they've won games by doing what they did, so, you know, it's not surprising they did it. I'm just thinking if they're ever in that situation again, I, you know, Damien's been pretty accurate mm. off the tee, um, and I, I would back them against most teams to go deep into that sort of golden point. So should Chiefs fans be worried about this glitch? I personally, if I was a Chiefs fan, I'd be thinking it's a great, great timing. Um, you know, it, it just, you'd rather them have this, you know, slip up by giving guys opportunity that haven't had as many runs um, on, the, on the clock. But also, you, you don't want to do this against like, you know, the Hurricanes. Um, you know, coming up or, or the Brumbies because there's a psychological um, aspect to it. Maybe the only downside to the loss is they potentially could have sent um, another team to have that pressure and opportunity in Canberra. Mm. But I think they're going to have to send the two um, big dog squads uh, for the next two weeks in particular. Oh, well, that's it. They've got to run home uh, against the Hurricanes, the Brumbies away and the Force away. So it's actually not an easy run home. And while they've got a buffer of five points at the top of the table, there's a good chance that that could come back. Yeah, well, I think if they win this weekend and get the result, they can send guys to Perth, you know, other squad members that potentially aren't on tour. So they are still a little bit in control of how, how they go into that final series. Um, but it's now they need to win, not um, they can you know, have that one loss maybe against the Brumbies in Canberra. Mm. Do the YouTube comments section lit up something terrible, didn't it? <laughs> we apparently didn't give the Chiefs enough love last week. Yeah. We've been giving them love for 10 weeks, then they slip up, and here we are again yeah. talking about them. Well, it was hard. <laughs> it's, it's hard. <laughs> I, I feel that, um, you know, for Chiefs fans, maybe we didn't last week, but there's not much more you could say. You know, they, they had their blueprint and they were just running red hot. Yeah, absolutely. Red hot, Samapeni Finau. Now, we talked about him a little earlier in the year as a possible bolter, as a six. That game on the weekend was mighty impressive. Also, the fact that he went off injured and came back on and showed guts. Yeah, he's he's definitely got ticker. I think he's shown that the whole whole time he's sort of been in this Chiefs squad. Um, but he's getting more and more confident. I think, especially around his set piece roles, which are which are critical. But his work rate, um, his work ethic, similar to Tupo Vai as well. Like the stats, you know, 20 carries. You know, if you actually look into those 20 carries, a lot of them are the tough carries. You know, where there's a wall of defenders, no one you know wants to run into it, and he mm. ducks his head and gets into it. Um, big work rate on defence, um, so you know. But also disciplined. He's not. He's not um, trying to make a name for himself. He has to hold that edge. So he doesn't hit a lot of breakdown rucks. Mm. Um, but he holds that edge with that discipline because that's their system and structures. So often, you know, when guys hit form like he has this season, maybe break that to get, you know, a little bit more action. But you know, he's he stood strong on that right um, flank all, all year. Uh, I think another one is your boy Luke Jacobson. I, I thought he impressed at seven. Um, depending how Ethan comes back, you know, he is a genuine six, seven, eight, um, and, and you know, option for for the All Blacks to look at maybe before naming the World Cup squad. Uh, but we know it goes from 36 to 33, and I know three players sounds like not a lot, but when you've got to carry three hookers and three halfbacks, mm. um, it is it is it makes the jigsaw a little bit harder. So players that can do those multi roles, um, you know, and he had a big big work rate, 11 carries, 13 tackles, and 42 rucks. Big shift. Yeah, yeah. Sam Penny, 
is it too late, do you think, or do you think there's still no. time? They're, no. they're willing to trial a new person. I think so. I think so. But maybe early. I'm not too sure. But you can't ignore form. Um, and I think Jace Ryan, you know, he, he would like the size of his body and, and how he could probably get his hands on and even make him a better player. Um, I suppose the only obstacle is there's some sixes starting to play really well. Um, and one guy that's just doing sort of uh, loose forward numbers is Scott Barrett. I know he's playing at lock, but man, the work he's getting through at the moment. So he, he, he's putting a genuine hand up. And I keep mentioning it because I think against those um, Northern Hemisphere sides, you know, if you think a, a Retallick, a Whitelock and, and a Barrett in, in your liner and your scrum and the ability to work around the field, um, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, half of you's got to be concerned that it's World Cup year and there isn't a settled six. The other half of you thinks, wow, there's some options. Yeah, I, I just think the way he's playing, if you watch the way he's playing, it's not too dissimilar to a six. Mm. Um, he, he's got that ability. And I don't think he goes to six and changes his style. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't need to. He just needs to continue doing what he's doing. Yeah. And look, the Brumbies, they beat the Highlanders 48-32. They are right up there now. They're ahead of the Hurricanes by four points and five points behind the Chiefs. This run home could be interesting because of the Brumbies. You know, we've been talking a lot all year about all these other teams, but that the Brumbies are in the mix. The Brumbies could be in the mix. In fact, the Brumbies could qualify top. Yeah, they could. They're not in control of it themselves because they probably need the Chiefs to lose to the Hurricanes. Mm. But I think to give them confidence, um, you know, no matter who plays for the Chiefs, getting that win at home will be crucial for them to actually, I think, send a message to the comp that they, they will be there at the pointy end. But they do, and I don't know who made this draw. Because whoever made the draw, you're a genius, has got the Chiefs and the Brumbies playing with two weeks to go. Yeah. You know, and, and it's in Canberra. And that is a hell of a game for the setup of this competition. Yeah, and you have to think they'll, they'll win against the Force and the Rebels. Um, but that, that'll be a juicy number. Yeah, that'd be an absolute pillar. Especially, especially, I mean, if the Chiefs don't get over the Hurricanes this weekend, it is, it's, it will be all on. Speaking of an absolute pillar, that Crusaders-Blues game, despite the fact that Blues didn't score any tries, was an absolute belter of a game for its intensity and, and what was left out on the field. The Blues went down there having won last season in, in Christchurch. This year, they barely got into the 22. Yeah, well, they didn't have a lot of ball. Um, I mean, the first 30 minutes was um, some of the best footy I've watched in a long time, like a defensive side just turning up time and time again. And a Crusaders side that just said, we want to keep taking it to you, not taking three, going to the corner. Um, you know, both sides had a high turnover rate, but the, the Blues had 20 turnovers, um, you know, with 41% um, possession. You know, they'll even admit, admit that was probably too high, but they were still within a sniff. And I think we know once that card hit, we all knew it was going to get upgraded to 20 minutes. Um, that, that just, even though they held them out, that defence just sucked a lot of life out of, um, I suppose, the energy. Mm. Um, and you've got to give credit, the Crusaders made some adjustments. Like the Blues definitely, when they played at Eden Park, if you, if you look at that game earlier, a lot of the time Sever Reese was quite high defensively trying to really shut off and that's where that kick space was they were trying to get to mm. but man they, they it was almost like they knew it was coming I know Richie's come out and said you know he listened to comments from Caleb but they were already sort of planning they probably reviewed themselves and said geez we're giving away too much um, kick space and the Blues are known for that kick strategy and, and those attacking kicks or up and unders especially Bodie and 
um, you know, they, they picked it off uh, really, really well. Um, they, they just didn't let them get into that game. And maybe, like Leon said, maybe they could have, you know, not kicked as much. But he said even in the, in the key areas, you know, like your set piece and the breakdown, they probably came second there more often than not. I think early on they were probably, you know, doing really well in that breakdown. But as, as he said, they probably just wore away. It certainly didn't feel like it was the amount of kicking. It felt like it was the quality of the kicking. It oh, wasn't up to its usual standard. I think it was, sometimes it's the amount as well. Like, because they were defending for such long periods, to just give the ball back and go back onto defence was, you know, like, sometimes you've got to temper that, you know, game plan versus, you know, how the how the troops going, you know. Um, so, oh, I don't know. Like, it still was a great game. I don't know how, and I... I've, I will say it, that knock-on was missed. It would have, <laughs> um, you know, Dalton was trying to ask yeah. the ref. Um, but everyone will say I've just got my patch on, which I don't, because I don't think it would have changed the outcome. Yeah. But that bonus point, I think, could be crucial um, coming into the back end. But, yeah. um, you know, you win some, you lose some. I don't think it was uh, your fault. That was an obvious knock-on, <laughs> and anyone who was watching the game could see it was an obvious knock-on, and the referee wasn't keen on reviewing that, but it was very obvious that that was a, a very bad decision and impossible. Like it's hard to understand how no one saw it. It was yeah. an open play, and it went a long way forward, a uh, massive way forward. And um, you know, credit to the Crusaders, though. So often you'd stop. You know, they they are ruthless in their approach. They they play the old adage, play to the whistle, and, and they did that. So did the Blues uh, defensively. But you've already touched on uh, Leicester. Man, he's he's in some form. He's he's certainly. I would say the form left winger at the moment mm. in the country. Doing everything. Yeah, defensively, you know, in the, in the air, um, still scoring the tries as we expect, but it's, it's the little work um, he's doing off the ball, really uh, looking in, you know, around the ruck for carries, coming out the back, sort of that Corumbetti style, yeah. you know, that we credit, you know, so positively uh, with the Wallabies and, you know, even with the Wild Knights uh, when he plays over there. So, yeah, he, he's, he looks like a man very, very hungry and, I know he's come out and talked about a number of offers from all and sundry, so it's a good time for him to be playing well. He seems to have a roving commission too. He's on the right wing, he's on the left wing, he's all over the place. That's what I mean, but I, I think he's just... He's seeing things and putting himself there to make a difference, and he does attract defenders, mm. which then creates opportunity for the guys like Jordan and co to have a little bit more uh, time with ball in hand. How a big guy like that gets vertical too is mind-blowing. Oh, power. It's, yeah. it's Caleb's the same. Like they, it's just so much power in those glutes. They just spring like they're on a trampoline. Yeah. Our next guest has got a long, distinguished career as a coach in rugby for over 20 years as one of the top skills coaches in the world, and now as the head coach at the Drua, Mick Byrne. Been at Leicester, Scotland, New Zealand, the Blues, Australia. He's been a skill coach to some of the greatest players of all time, Jip. Yeah, and made them a hell of a lot better. Uh, the one thing I love about Mick is, you know, his attention to detail, but. They always say the best coaches are natural teachers, um, and I think no matter the personality he comes across, he has the ability to, um, you know, instil that growth in their game no matter what. So it's 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 a real privilege that he's here with us today. Excellent, Mick, come on in. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, was Jip an easy one to coach? <laughs> yeah, well, well, when you work as hard as he does and prepared to work, you, you know, we'll just sort of cross uh, compliments to each other here, but. Um, you know, Jipper was, uh, you know, just continually looking to get better. And they're the sort of players you really enjoy coaching, the guys that are 
are really passionate about getting better. And uh, yeah, he was certainly up there with the best of them. And I suppose that's what a person, you know, you're a head coach, but as a skills coach, that's basically what it's all about. Oh, no question. Um, I think everybody, I, I mean, I've always used the analogy of golfers, you know, like I'm sure Dustin Johnson and, and these guys are, are out there getting better every day. They've got their swing coach, they've got their putting coach, uh, and they're the best in the world, but they're still trying to get better. And, and any person that chooses professional sport as a career obviously is passionate about getting better, and my role was always to, to find out how I can help them do that. And that was a natural thing for you when you headed into coaching? That was kind of your passion? Yeah, well, I think when I... Like, I, I grew up playing rugby in rugby league and um, and I, that was always something that I'd I'd been coached into as a as a kid. So, you know, I knew all about that game. And then late in my school years, my, my last year of school, I switched over to Australian rules and and suddenly I had to, to learn a whole different skill set. And... Uh, Along the way, there was different things that, that came to me to teach me how to do stuff. And I think the, the things that I found the most uh, helpful were, were coaches that asked me to try and get better and teach me a few things that could help me get better and, and try a few different things. So I, I found that to be you know, not only good for me, but you know, as, as soon as I went coaching, I was like, well, this is how I learned to do things. You know, Good people teaching me how to do things. And... It wasn't about what. No one ever talked about the what. It was always the how. That's how I learnt when I was young. So I thought, well, as a coach, I'm going to teach players the how. To do that, I had to obviously learn it myself. But it's not sort of why we do things or what you're doing. It's how you do it. And that's that's why, for me as a coach, that was always my philosophy. Just a bit of a backgrounder. Uh, Mick did pretty well. <laughs> he did pretty bloody well as a, an AFL player to 167 games for Melbourne, Hawthorne and Sydney, won a premiership with Hawthorne. Three goals in a grand final, Mick? That's, I don't really know what yeah, that means, yeah, but is three. that good? That's good? Yeah. Oh, look, you know, any goal in a grand final is good. It's like, you know, it's probably worth a try or so, you know, so it was good. Yeah, I think um, being able to get on the scoreboard in the, in the last game of the year is always a good thing. So having done that and then going back into what rugby league at Manly and then into rugby coaching... What was the decision to head back from AFL in the direction of, I suppose, your, your first childhood loves with the oval ball? Yeah, it, it probably came about by accident. I moved back to Sydney, finished with the Swans and started coaching there. But because I'd grown up in Sydney, my, some of my mates were still... And I, I, when I moved back to the Swans, I, I bucked the system and went over and lived on the northern beaches where I grew up, whereas most of the Swans players were living in the eastern suburbs or down Cronulla. So I went back to where, where my roots were in Manly and all my mates were still either involved playing or coaching at Manly Rugby League and just asked if I could pop down and help them uh, with a bit of their kicking and catching. And, and I did that and I found uh, you know the, the coach and the coaching coordinator came to me and offered me an opportunity to do one day a week there. So I started coaching there, but at the same time I was coaching in the AFL. And I, I guess it wasn't until I... I got an opportunity to go into rugby that the global game became um, available to me. And, and, and that happened at Manly Rugby. Um, and from there, the, the head coach there was Tim Lane, who was the Wallabies backs coach. And he asked me to come in and do the Wallabies in 98. So um, I went in there and then suddenly I just found myself sort of working, working my way through the rugby world. It's a bloody good story. It certainly is. I suppose one of your strengths, Mick, is you're almost ahead of the curve in a way. How do you 
continue to do that as the game is evolving pretty much year to year at the moment? Yeah, well, I think when when you when I started in the game, I was probably the only skills coach in the world at the time, and it was I was encompassing a lot of areas. So there was like specialist coaches had been in. There was defence coaches had come in from rugby league. There, there was one or two guys doing a bit of kicking coaching, but I'd sort of cut my teeth in the game of league and union. So, and being at Manly Rugby League for nearly ten years as a sort of a, a consulting coach. I'd done a lot of work in the different aspects of the game. So I could see that the the game, I understood the game, but what I didn't understand when I came back to rugby was, was why they kicked like they kicked. I couldn't understand it because when I was sort of looking at it, I'm like, well, you can kick on any tackle you like. When I came in from rugby league, it was like, well, you try and run your first, first four or five plays, you kick on your fifth tackle and it all set up. But in rugby, you can kick from the first tackle. So, and there's all this space on the field that defence coaches back when I started were like, they had these tight defences that rush up and put pressure on you, but there's all this space around and I couldn't really understand why. And so when I came into the game, I'm like, well, why can't we utilise this space? Oh, that's not what we do. Well, why don't we do it? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just not what we do. <laughs> and I think the key was then, if they're going to do it, we've got to get good at it. We've got to upskill our players to not only kick, but catch. And I think if we're going to give away possession by kicking the ball. When I was there, it was just basically under pressure, kick the ball back to them, get out of our territory, take pressure off us down here, kick it to them and, and defend versus let's kick to to score. So basically when I started with the All Blacks, my presentation to Graham Henry and Wayne Smith was, we want to bring a kicking game in where it helps us score more tries by hand. And so that's where it started. So we're saying, well, how do we do that? Well, we use a kicking game to manipulate defences. Obviously, we'd like to score, but if we can manipulate defences and set some of our great players alight, that was going to be part of it as well. You'd have to say, I mean, to stick with kicking, um, obviously with the Fiji and Drua, probably not their natural skill set is to kick the ball away. They've obviously played, I suppose, touch rugby growing up and the ability to offload and keep that ball alive. What have some of the, I suppose, the nuances of coaching in Fiji and you know I suppose a different style or ways they approach the game how has that sort of challenged you and and I suppose over the two years how how have maybe you potentially changed uh, to get the best out of them especially this season yeah it's a good question Jip I think you know like it's 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 not a natural part of their game and a lot of our lot of players aren't great at it I mean if you think back to to rocks and and city when we started with them you know it wasn't something they did naturally but it's just a skill that they can learn and, you know, um, they became good at it and it's another dimension to their game. And if we can upskill these players, it just adds another dimension, but it's not something that they, they do. And I've always believed, you know, people talk about decision-making and skills, what's more important. Well, obviously I'm biased, but I think skills comes first because if you don't have a skill, you're actually not looking for the opportunity Mm. to use it. If you don't have it, you're not looking to use it. So if you can't pass with your left hand, you're knocking. You're not looking for that space outside your right shoulder that might be a good left-hand pass if you can't do that. Likewise, if you're kicking, if you can't kick, you're not looking for the space in behind the line. So the first thing we have to do is upskill our players to give them the skill sets. And then once we give them that, then they can start making good decisions because they can then execute a skill to back up that decision. And so we're at that point at the moment where we're just upskilling our players. You know, we're working hard with our our players on their kicking game. 
We've scored a couple of good tries with little uh, dinks in behind, little chips over the top. We're starting to add that. And if you can do that and you've got a, a threatening running team and if you can add that little bit of kicking game to it, you become, you know, what we've always called a triple threat. So you become a three-dimensional team. You can either run, pass or kick. We're still working on that kicking aspect. Um, but it'll be exciting when we, we get to where we need to get to with it. If you look at the games you've done extremely well in this year, your, your kick stats have probably been a little bit higher, probably 15 or over, not like, I mean, New Zealand Aussie teams can get up to that 30. I don't think um, it's up to that level yet. But I think that game management and that balance has been so crucial coming out of your half. I mean, a lot of the times in the games you've won, you've, you've had one, two or three rucks in your own 22. And outside of that, you've, you know, you've put the ball in behind and, and almost been patient in, in the sense to let the opposition make the mistakes. And then you know that once you're in your 50, you can take, take I suppose, the wind out of their sails and, and puff more in yours. Yeah, it sounds like you've been in our review meetings. <laughs> so, um, I think that's one of the key things for us is to help our players understand that clinical nature of that that game and that part of the field. I mean, last year we were we were just too excitable about getting the ball and trying to play there. And Super Rugby teams, especially the good teams, are, are going to really put pressure on you in that part of the field because I know they've got 80 metres behind them mm. to pick up any little uh, line break and their scramble D is excellent. So we we have learnt to do that. We still get caught out every now and then and getting a bit excited in that area and looking to maybe overplay our hand. But we're certainly better this year. And you're right. The games we have gone well, we've we've probably executed that that back end of the field a lot better. How long does it take to embed those ideals? Like, what's when do you see that being an end game when that works perfectly as you'd like it? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think if you start with a group of players that have played that sort of football, so if you if you're dealing with a group of you know Kiwi kids or Aussie kids that have grown up playing it through their schoolboy rugby and they've got that sort of ingrained clinical nature to their game. It doesn't take long at all. It probably takes you a season to embed what you really want to get out. But when you're actually trying to change cognitive behaviour, which is, you know, another way of saying instinct, um, when you go down and watch these these guys play, and I, I go now, when I got back to Fiji, I went around and had a look at how they play down at the park and how they play on the beach. and They play no-touch rugby. So it's just frenetic. You know, you, you get touched, it's a turnover. So... This is the way they've played all their life. And so when you go back there and realise you're actually now saying to someone, take contact, clean the ball out, get another one, take another set of contact, get back, let's clear it out of here, give the ball back to them. That's not the way they've played all their life. All they've ever done in their life is tried to give it to a teammate who may not necessarily be in a better position, but they can't get touch with it. So they just throw it and they just throw it and they just throw it. And it's and when, you, when you're trying to embed that sort of behaviour, uh, it takes a little bit longer. But it, again, it comes back to probably how we open the show. If the players are prepared to do the work as a coach, it's a lot easier to work with that. And I've got to say, our players are really uh, professional in that. They really want to get it right. And that's probably why in our second year, we've been able to make that progress because the players are, extremely, are working extremely hard on that aspect of their game. If we look, if I, and I know you won't want to single anyone out, but if we use, uh, I suppose, Frank Lamani as a, as an example, I remember when you guys were playing uh, the Brumbies last season um, in Canberra. It was quite hot afternoon game. You defended for a long period of time. 
in your own 22 and then you eventually got the breakdown turnover and Frank Lamani takes the quick tap right under his sticks. Uh, the forward pack's probably gas because they've defended a number of phases and then he gets turned over and the Brumbies eventually score from that turnover versus Frank Lamani this year who's manipulating defences, making great decisions when to use the quick kick, quick tap and when to just settle things down. I mean, his growth in a year in this side, from me, from the outside looking in, he has been exceptional. You're right, mate, and, and I think, you know, we've had a chat about that, you know, um, and I know, you know, none of us like singling out players, but if you're going to talk about that one, uh, I mean, I've had some good chats to him about that. Mm. And, um, you know, I think this year he's realising, you know, as a, as a, as a good... As a Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Great player, you know, in a, in a Fijian team that everyone else is, is working hard as well. And he doesn't have to do it off his own bat anymore. Like he's, he's there, he's got 14 mates out on the field that'll come and help him and and do his stuff and he's taking a lot of um probably a lot of uh patience now because he knows that the game's going to get played and will exit and then he gets his chance and also understanding you know chatting to you know to Frank about it and all our players understanding that the way the game is played these days we only ever play 60% of the game the way we train for and the other 40% is making stuff up as we go because you know, we it's our line out, or it might be an opposition line out. It's overthrown, and suddenly our, our hooker at the back of the line out's got the ball and going into contact on his own. We haven't practiced that. So, what are we going to do for those next couple of phases? We just play, and that's the time to just play because their defense is not set. They're not folding around the corner because they weren't prepared for that. They were if they thought they were on attack. So we get probably two, maybe three, three rucks if we can get a bit of a line break where we can just play. That's the time to play our style. That's the time to play the game that we play. If we, if it's our line out and we win it, that's not the time to start throwing stuff around and, and because the defence is set, they're going to come around the corner, they're going to gang up on us and they'll be right. But So we're just learning how to really control that 60% of the game and then the other 40%, mate, I'm, you know, I'm, I would not even try and tell our boys how to play that 40%. Just let them go. That's... They cut their teeth on that as kids. So when that ball gets turned over, boys, you just play, you know. Probably the thing that we've got to get better at is because we are so excitable when we do get that turnover is, is to hang on to it for maybe one or two rucks yeah. to set it up and go from there rather than trying to score off that turnover. I suppose a big part of the enjoyment of the game, you don't want to take that away. You've got to allow that freedom. You've got to allow that essence of Fiji and rugby to go. If you, if you overstructured it, you'd run into issues. Yeah, and that's the key. I think for me, um, you know, last year was probably trying to get some structure into them. Um, and it was frustrating when we didn't get it. But when you watch them play, there's stuff that they do that, um, you, you know, you, you wouldn't want them to stop doing. 
Um, but I think you alluded to it before with the story about our turnover under our posts. Where are we doing it? And when are we doing it? Um, we get better at that. We'll we'll be able to marry the two parts of the game together. There must be some freakish things you see at training that you must just blow your mind, and as a skills coach, particularly, just really enjoy. Yeah, every day there's something going on. I think the thing that's probably blown my mind the most is the physical nature of the way they hit each other at training. And, um, you know, for for me being a pakia, like at the end of the day, uh, if someone hit me like that at training, I probably <laughs> want to get up and pump, you know, pop him on the nose. But they get up and pat each other on the back. You know, it's a great hit. That's just what they expect. So I think that's probably been the biggest eye-opener. Um, there's no such thing as 60% or shoulders on. It's just... We just go at it and, um, you know, they they respect each other for getting hit and that's something. But they're, certainly from a skills perspective, there's some things you'll do and, and they'll just go end to end on a try and um, you're just like, well, that's just something special there. Um, and we've seen a bit of it. I think the, probably the disappointing thing for me was the try we scored against the Blues that was called back on a forward pass. And we got the apology on Monday saying, look, sorry, it wasn't a forward pass. We'll be better than that next time. And but that was the try of the year for me. That that try we scored there. Um, and that's that's the tries we can score. But, you know, and then you sort of get the apology on the Monday from the ref saying, look, sorry, we got the call wrong. It wasn't a forward pass, which has probably robbed the team of the try of the year. But when you see that sort of stuff, you see that quite a lot at training and you're just like, wow, how'd they do that? If... If we look at to the Waratahs, rather than sort of reviewing, they had a lot of success against the Rebels with the driving mall. Uh, probably an area of the force maybe had some success against you guys. What's that sort of mindset or, or what are you looking to adjust leading into this week? Yeah, well, you know, it's one of those technical parts of the game. I'm not sure how many of our boys do malls on the beach when they're playing footy <laughs> yeah. as, they're, as they're growing up, you know. I don't think it's a part of the game that they're they've cut their teeth on. They're learning, um, they're understanding it more. You know, um, Greg Fleming's doing a great work with the Ford pack and, and, and getting them there. But I think the key there is the ability to switch onto it early. And, you know, like I, I read, I read Smithy's comments about it the other day. And, you know, I, I sort of, you, I can sort of see where, where Smithy's coming from, but at the same time, you know, working with our Ford's coaches and our forwards, there is a real art to it. The challenge, the challenge probably is working and making sure. And I think the 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 refs have been a, a little bit better over the last few weeks at just not allowing the illegal setup. But once the mall gets set up, it's very hard to stop. And so some of our guys are just got to be, they're just learning how to actually hit it earlier and how to, to get in there earlier and to be technically better at the start. Just for our viewers, Mick, how can a viewer tell the difference between an illegal setup and a legal setup when it comes to that driving line-out drive? I think, I think one of the easiest things is if the only player that should should have his back to the try line he's trying to go to is the player that catches the ball. Everyone else should be facing the try line. What ends up happening is one of the lifters ends up turning his back to the try line as well. So now you've got two guys that are at the front of the mall and the mall's, the ball's being protected by two guys. So I think the refs are getting better at that. There's some teams are really good at getting that lifter in front of the the, um, the catcher. But I think just if you're looking and seeing, if you see a lifter 
in front of the catcher when they land, that's illegal. Um, and that just stops you being able to get at the ball. Like, it just, that's the challenge. If you're, uh, if you're defending it, you want to be able to get in and disrupt that, that flow of that, that maul. Uh, but if, if the ball gets to the back and they've got two guys at the front that are they're driving through, it's, it's very hard to stop. Well, one of the things I find interesting about your journey is, you know, skills are obviously parts, so many different skills in the game of rugby. It's such a multifaceted game. But I've read things about the way that you've helped with lineouts, for instance, with Steve Hansen early on and things like that, that you've really enjoyed heading into other areas of the game and pointing out things that you've seen that maybe other people wouldn't see. Yeah, I think when I went, when I first started as, and I was a full-time skills coach, and you come back from training, what do you do between the training session and the next training session? You know, that was like coaches, if you're the forwards coach, you've got all the footage to look at. You've got, a, you know, you've got maybe 14 or 15 players or maybe 17 or 18 players you're looking at to try and help. And if you're the backs coach, you're doing that. And if you're the defence coach, you're looking at things. If you're the skills coach, what is it that you do? You know, so the key for me wasn't necessarily... Looking, looking at a little bit of training, but the, the big key for me in my first few years was understanding how to teach skills better. So I was fortunate enough to be able to spend a lot of time each week researching on how the body moves, what, how to make players more explosive, how to move the ball quicker, how to be more dominant in a tackle contest, how to use your body, how to use your joints. And so in my first three or four years, I mean, I've got, I've got a garage full of research on how the body works. And so when it came to the game, um, if it was a jumping or it was lifting or it was throwing, my understanding of, of, of how the body should work and, you know, through the th probably the two components without getting into it too heavily was basically force and talk, not the talk we're doing now or the talk I'm good at, but the <laughs> talk, T-O-R-Q-U-E. So the force and talk of the, the joints and muscles working together. And it doesn't matter what skill is, that's that's got to be a combination, whether it's lifting, throwing, passing, tackling, any of the skill sets rely on your, your ability to combine force and torque. And so my first few years were spent like that. So if it came to a, a throw or a line-out throw or a pass, how's the body, how can you best use your body to be accurate? And in a line-out throw, and Jip knows we spent many times over it is you you got to be efficient in the movement because you can't dummy throw. So once you start your throw, the line out starts. So if you've got opposition players targeting your throwing action, if you're not efficient with that action, they're going to pick you off, you know? So how do we use that? And that's the thing for me, whether it doesn't matter what the skill was. So yeah, when, when we sort of came into the line out, it was like, how can we lift faster? How can we lift better? How can we lift stronger? And what we found was, the best way was to get your lifting done after the jumpers jumped. So let the jumper jump and then get the lifting done. And that becomes a really fast, explosive movement. Those types of things, I think when I started, I was fortunate enough to be able to spend a lot of time on myself as a coach versus on my team. Like if I was a forwards coach, I'd spend I'd have to spend so much time on my team. But as a skills coach, I was able to spend time on myself and make myself better. So um, yeah, I didn't waste much time in that area in those first few years. To, to give you an example um, of something that Mick taught me uh, early in my super career was 
Um, and the, the way he does it is he asks you a question. He knows the answer, but he asks you the question so you get there yourself. And I, I used to, I'd have the ball up, ready to throw, and you know, line out walks in, goes for the tempo. And if the tempo was called off, I'd put the ball back down. And he'd go, what are you, what are you saying to the defence? And what he's trying to say is, if you put the ball back, you can't throw from there. Mm. So we started holding medicine balls and heavy balls above our head. Because the reason why we, we all went down is because it was uncomfortable. Yep. We hadn't built the muscles to hold there for you know, 15, 20 seconds and still be able to produce the torque yep. and that speed of the throw. Um, and, and that was a massive adjustment for, for myself. I think Tom McCartney as well, um, even Kevy at times. It was, um, but it was that detail that he had noticed that if he was an opposition lock, and that ball's down, they, they can just relax and, and, and know the ball's not coming in. And it was a big shift from our line-out going from about 65 70% to up towards that 90 mm. uh, I suppose that Nick Gill, the All Black strength and conditioning coach, loved you coming to him with biomechanical uh, questions about how he could maybe help you get the people to the point you needed them to in those skills. Yeah, I think you bring up Gilly, uh, uh, you know, it's awesome because sometimes you meet coaches in that area that, aren't interested in that. They just got their strength and conditioning and they live in their silo. Whereas Gilly, and that's why Gilly's been successful for as long as he has, he was also about how do I make this player a better rugby player? So, you know, he and I would have really good conversations around what can we do in the gym to help players, you know, with better leg drive through contact. So we would do a lot of functional stuff in the gym. So they might come off a box squat and do a front foot leg drive on a sled uh, in the gym so that they're actually saying, well, I'm squatting, so this is the squat action which is making me stronger, but why am I doing that for rugby? Mm. So why am I doing that for rugby? So when I get in this position, I can push with the glutes through the, through the contact. And so when, when you work with guys like Gilly, it's, it's a blessing because they're interested in your conversation and they're not just interested in it to paper over it. They're actually interested in it to help the players get better. Have you seen that go down the line to NPC and, and lower levels where players are, are doing these kind of similar things off the back of the initial work done by people like Mick and Nick? Yeah, I, I think there's a big expectation for that sort of knowledge because you can't have, you know, that coaches are also developing at that level. Mm. So it's a real onus on those senior players that come from, you know, that don't make the All Blacks to go back down and, and drive those standards but also teach, uh, you know, act as assistant coaches as, as much as anything in that NPC grade. Mm -hmm. and, and so the hope is that... By now, Mick, after 20 years, this is a common place in rugby culture. Yeah, I think it is. I, I, I think what happens, though, is um, if you're not careful and you don't keep at it, what creeps in is the, which I'm finding a lot now, is the what we're doing. So what, what ends up happening is, you know, what are we going to do here off this play? We're going to go in here and play out the back and we're going to go around the corner and we're going to come back here. and we're, That's what we're doing. And I think... If we're not careful and we don't have a focus on how um, and we end up back where we were a long time ago where we're just focusing on the what, we're going to lose that ability to execute under pressure and and our skills will drop off because, as I said right at the start, if you're, you know, you're Dustin Johnson or you're any of these golfers, they, they don't just play golf. You know, they're, they're the best golfers in the world. They don't just go and play, you know, 10 tournaments a year, they, they're out there, even after a day's round of golf, they're out on the practice fairway working on maybe their downswing or maybe their follow-through or maybe their foot positioning or their, their upper body positioning. They're always working to get better. And, and I think that's the thing that we've got to keep in rugby, that we're always looking at how we do things, not just what we're doing. 
One thing I really want to ask you about, uh, what the reaction in the squad's been like to this news that Fiji could be playing the All Blacks next year and could be involved in what would be a Southern Hemisphere Six Nations in the future. It must be a pretty happy place reading that. Yeah, look, I think, you know, we're, with our boys, um, you know, anything that, that can, we can do to help promote the game in Fiji is awesome. And we, we understand our role is in uh, Super Rugby and we can we can show a pathway through to the national team. And if we perform well, we give opportunity for people to look in and go, you know what, maybe there are things happening over there that that we can get involved in. Or, you know, maybe they look and say, well, there's, you know, they look at our crowds and, and how our crowds support the game. You know, you'd be mad not to bring a, a test match there and try and, you know, um, make the most of that sort of passion. So, you know, we we understand the role we play in developing the game and, and showcasing the, the game to a, a professional environment. And our boys are really excited by any any growth that that means for for the team, but also for them personally. I'd be suggesting it's an afternoon kickoff, black jersey in that heat. 2.30, La Tolka, be great. <laughs> yep. Around How hot? About, How, can you... Probably around about the, I oh, know, 18th or 19th of July would be great. <laughs> can you describe the heat though? Like you look at it from here and you know, you can see the crowd, they've got umbrellas up just trying to get some shade. Like it must be so hot at the moment. Yeah, look, it's at the moment it's not as bad as it, it could be, you know, in a couple of months' time, but it's certainly it's interesting. We went two two weeks on the road, um, and admittedly it was Dunedin, but and I'm not nothing against Dunedin, it's just south further south than most places we travel to. But when we came back from Dunedin, we left Dunedin in tracksuit pants and tracksuit tops and we got off the plane at Nandy and the heat just hits you and you'd only been away for two weeks and it's like, oh, welcome back home. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think the teams that travel in, that's the experience they have. And, you know, we do get used to it, no question. Um, we get used to running and, 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 and playing and training in it, but it is an advantage of ours, um, no question. And I guess as teams travel over and get more used to it, they'll they'll get used to it as well. Who wins the World Cup, Mick? <laughs> oh, straight off the bat. Look, I I really like um uh I know the ABs have had a lot of issues and I know I'm very biased, but I just think they can bring a game that can upset the 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 way the, the game's being played at the moment. I think there's a lot of teams up north. France are, are doing a, a hell of a lot of good stuff. You know, um, Ireland are attritionally strong. They, you know, they get across the game line. They, they don't give you many chances to turn over the, the ball and and play that loose game against them. They're really well structured. But I think the ABs they can combine both those, but they do need they do need their forwards functioning in a really physical game. Before we let you go, Mick, I had one question from a viewer uh, wanting to know. If you think about all the forwards and the backs that you've coached, which three forwards do you think would make good backs and which three backs have got the skills to make good forwards? Hmm, okay. Well, I think um, I sort of, if I look back and say, what, what forwards have I coached that have ended up in the backs? I remember Victor Vito finished up on the wing in a World Cup game mm. and he didn't look out of place there at all. So... You know, I think of all the players I've coached, he he's done it. I mean, there's probably others. You know, you look at guys now like 
Akira Awani and these guys, you know, you know, you could probably slip them out somewhere out wide and they'd they'd hold their own. I think as a Wallaby guy, Radiki Samo, he didn't do a bad job either when he went out there. And I think, you know, uh, any one of our back row could go and play on the wing at the moment. So um, we're just teaching them how to be back rowers, but they, you know, they could do that. Um, backs to forwards. Pretty hard to go past the bus. I wouldn't mind seeing him picking the ball up at the back of a scrum. Mm. Uh, his brother, his brother does a pretty good job, but I think it'd be good to see him. Um, Geordie Barrett, I think, could be a good number six. Wouldn't mind, you know, like he he runs hard, he goes hard. He's, you know, could be a good kicking six. Um, <laughs> reminds me, reminds me similar of a guy I coached at Edinburgh who cross coded to Aussie Rules, Mike Pike. Um, he was a fullback winger at Canada Rugby, played at Edinburgh, ended up playing over 100 games with the Swans and won a premiership with them. And I reckon, you know, like uh, of the players, you know, Samu Karevi could go to seven. You know, he he could hold his own over the ball and pretty physical sort of guy. So, But when you look back over my time, I, you know, if I had time, I could probably sit down and rattle off a team of backs that could play forwards and a team of forwards that could play backs. We'd hold you to that if we had another 15 minutes, mate. We'll let you go to your uh, to your coaching. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, geez, an incredible insight from McBurn. You know, he's a guy who obviously made a very big change to world rugby and one that people probably don't really know enough about. Yeah, and, and just picks up things others don't. Like, he's constantly challenging himself to think outside that square and, and I suppose, be ahead of the game. Something that Wayne Smith's known a lot for, but he's of the, the similar vein. And the amount of work he puts in on watching footage, you know, he just taps through it with his little with his little space bar on and off, on and off, to make sure he gets the way he articulates things precise. And I think it's his ability to teach um, is, is pretty special. And the way he teaches is through drawing the answer out of you, mm. which then it sort of feels like it's your, um, you know, sort of idea, so then you run with it a, a lot smoothly. Well, I certainly found that way, and, and the teammates around us did. You feel like you have a lot of clarity after he talks. Yeah, he doesn't complicate things. Yeah. Because um, he does his work and gets it clear in his own head and then delivers it um, really smoothly. Um, but, you know, like even that question just off the bat around forwards going to, you know, he's, he doesn't take long to... Uh, come up with yeah. a few, you know. Uh, nice question there from CNs off YouTube, just to mix it up for us. The uh, top three backs would be in the forwards and the top three forwards that could be in the backs. Keep sending your questions through to us uh, week on week, either in the YouTube comments section or at Aotearoa Rugby Pod at sky.co.nz or in our submission feed, you can send us a video. We don't, because we had Mick on, had time to get through a number of the questions, but we will get onto them next week, including an interesting question about the benefits of the box kick that I'm sure that Bryn would like to chat when he gets <laughs> back on board so we will get to your questions over time but we might not be able to do them all week on week on week we did have some feedback to last week's uh, big question about the uh, the Mount Rushmore of power wingers um, the feedback was what about Porsche Woodman and yeah. it's fair and, it's and fair. I suppose if you if you look at it from a super rugby sense um, with with I suppose the Manawa going on to win that first title and the impact um, she had in the final. Mm. Um, she was a big point of difference for them to get a, get over the top of the Blues. And, and seeing her against England in the Rugby World Cup final, even though she wasn't there all game when yeah. she was there, boy, just uh, power. And, and, and I suppose the longevity, of it, she's done it for so long at sevens. Anytime she stepped into 15s, she's been strong. So she's definitely 
um, worthy of being in, in the top four. Yeah, quite a superb player. Now let's get on to the tipping now. Uh, go to superrugby.tipping. You can get involved in the Aotearoa Rugby Pod League and make sure you come on board because if you win that league, you get to come on with us. I suppose it would be great if they could come in in person, but it might be online. Um, the winner will get that. Currently, Chieftains is tied with Lim's jerseys at the top. Uh, Jippy, you're doing pretty well. Six. Oh, mate, I had a rough weekend. Mm. Okay. Jeez. Um, Not far off the pace. Blues, blues uh, hit me hard, and um, I suppose the Reds upset as well. <laughs> you do. As long as you choose to pick the Blues in Christchurch, you're going to be a 50 50. Yeah, aren't yeah, you? yeah, like... yeah. Well, I always say <laughs> when it comes to the Blues, I am always going to tip with my heart. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's have a look for this weekend. The first game Moana Pacifica versus the Crusaders. That's at Mount Spartan. Uh, Crusaders. Crusaders. Uh, Reds against the Blues. Interesting considering how they played against the Chiefs? Yeah, I think I saw enough um, ticker in the Blues. Like, once that card happened, it was always going to be difficult. Um, but I think, you know, Brisbane is a tough place to play. Like, it, is, it isn't easy. We haven't had a lot of success over the years there, but um, after last week's loss, I think they'll be better for it. Highlanders, Rebels. I'm going to go Highlanders. They were in it for yeah. a lot of that game. Yeah. I mean, they were ahead with 20 minutes to go, weren't they, before yeah. losing to the Brumbies? I mean, that was an impressive um, coming home with a wet sail, the old Brumbies. But uh, away from home, Canberra's a tough place. To be in the fight there is, is you know, in the position they're in as well. Mm. Um, so I think at home, under the roof, um, you know, the Rebels probably just let that one go. And they struggle up front where the Highlanders started to get some good ascendancy against the, the Brumbies, so they need to use that driving maul and, and their scrum to, to, I suppose, pull the Rebels apart. Now, I'm imagining that the Chiefs are going to pull back a few of their big-name players into this game against the Hurricanes, because if they don't, the Hurricanes could turn this competition on its head. Massively, and I tell you, who would love it the most would be the Brumbies. Mm. Um, so uh, Chiefs at home, you, you have to think um, they're probably going as favourites, and, and I'll be picking them, but... It'll be a slim margin. The, the ruthless nature of, of probably guys getting an opportunity. You think about Harry Godfrey um, and, and his future now after the way he performed on the weekend. Uh, it gives them confidence to go to Hamilton and think they can get the job done. Taz Drew. I think, like Mick mentioned the travel, it's not going to be as hard because I've come from Perth. Mm. Um, but I, I, one thing concerns me is the Tars need to keep it in their forwards. Like yep. They were strong at line-out. Every time they got a line-out turnover, they scored on the weekend, um, and they were strong in the mall uh, when they had the ball. So I think it might be a step too far um, up front. And the Brumbies are away at the force, considering what you saw from the force against the Drua. Any chance the Brumbies get pipped? No, I think the Brumbies won't be happy with their performance, uh, um, You know their standards. Uh, if, they, if everyone played like Rob Valentini and Pete Samu, they would be. Um, so I think they need a little bit more... Um, this weekend and they'll, they'll have a bit of edge about them. Well, we're certainly getting close three weeks to go. Um, a lot of these games no, are going to be making it's... big differences. A lot of the people, teams in the top five or six playing each other over those last few rounds, we could see some changes. Well, you look at last season and it was probably the excitement was around that 7-8, but I think there's a little bit of excitement there, but, man, up the top end, who finishes fifth and fourth is massive because mm. it just it, it makes it a tough ask when, when it's probably going to be a derby game. There are two solid talking points, aren't there? And I think that's the point of having a top eight, is that you can create that next talking point yeah. instead of it just being a semi-final talking point. And it's not forced. I feel like um, everyone's uh, right in behind it. You know, you're not, you're not having to coax people talking about it 
um, you know, in the streets or even on social media. So it's it's a good time for Super Rugby to, I suppose, hit that next level now. And um, you know, you look at the Chiefs um, game against uh, the Crusaders and the Crusaders Blues. That's just entertaining. Not a lot of points scored, but it is entertaining from from way to go. Yeah, we are getting into the big part of the season. Thank you again, Jipper, for uh, for coming Thank on you, board. Mate. And please keep up with us um, with the Super Rugby action. You can also get All Blacks tickets now. They're out on sale for the All Blacks versus South Africa at Mount Smart on July 15 and Australia in Dunedin on August 5. Those tickets are for sale as of today which is Tuesday. <laughs> if you're watching it tomorrow, it was yesterday. Um, but thank you. Thank you very much for joining us once again on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Send us an email on Pod at sky.co.nz. Comment in the YouTube comments section. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to see you again next week. Matewa.